Hello, everyone. Welcome to the June 4 edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Offices. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that unknown, undocumented workers may prevail on wage and hour claims. And the court affirmed the rule that after discovery of an undocumented worker status by an employer, the workers are entitled to most of the legal rights and remedies provided to employees. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of La Paix versus Luft Enterprises. Three undocumented workers filed a lawsuit against their former employer, Luft Enterprises, doing business as Indecor and its owner, Otmar Luft, alleging unpaid overtime wages, failure to provide meal and rest periods, and other labor code violations. The company manufactures furniture for businesses such as restaurants and casinos. Allegedly, employees worked 10 or more hours per day without an afternoon or second meal break, and the company failed to pay overtime wages or provide meal and rest periods. The employer was aware that these plaintiffs were not authorized to work in the United States due to their immigration status before May of 2010, which is the agreed-upon claim period in this case. The trial court entered judgment in favor of the plaintiffs for more than $140,000, and the plaintiffs were also awarded their attorney fees and costs. But the employer appealed, contending that the employer may not be compelled as a matter of law to pay past wages allegedly due because the plaintiffs were not legally authorized to work in the United States. The Court of Appeal found merit in the defendant's challenge to the award of costs, but otherwise it affirmed the award to the plaintiffs in the unpublished case. In support of the plaintiff's, the defendant's contention, the employer cited the California Supreme Court holding in the 2014 case of Salas versus Sierra Chemical. But the Court of Appeal found the employer's reliance on this case to be misplaced. In Salas, the plaintiff sued his former employer under FIHA, alleging the employer failed to reasonably accommodate his physical disability and refused to rehire him in retaliation for filing a workers' comp claim. But in Salas, the employer learned after the complaint was filed that the employee may have used another man's social security number in order to gain employment. The California Supreme Court ruled that Federal preemption does bar an award of lost pay damages under the FIHA for any period of time after an employer's discovery of the employee's ineligibility under federal law to work in the United States. The Salas Court noted that its preemption analysis for the post-discovery period is limited to employers who discover the plaintiff employee's unauthorized status after the employee has been discharged and or not rehired. Now applying the Sala case to the present situation, the employer concedes knowledge of the worker's unauthorized work status during the agreed-upon claim period in the case. Since the employer was aware of the employee's unauthorized work status during the time of their employment, 
the employer actively joined in the violation of federal immigration law. Under this circumstance, the Salas court holding does not apply and the workers are not barred from recovering their lost wages. Pfizer, the drug company, has agreed to pay $23.8 million to resolve kickback claims brought by the Department of Justice. Under the federal anti-kickback statute, a pharmaceutical company is prohibited from offering, directly or indirectly, any remuneration, which includes paying patients' copay obligations, to induce Medicare patients to purchase the company's drugs. The government alleged that Pfizer used a foundation as a conduit, that is, a charitable foundation, to pay the copay obligations of Medicare patients taking three Pfizer drugs. <clears throat> Instead of giving two of the drugs to Medicare patients under Pfizer's existing free drug program, it used a third-party specialty pharmacy to transition certain patients to the foundation, which covered the patient's Medicare copays. Pfizer then allegedly made donations to the foundation to enable it to cover the copays of these patients. With respect to the third drug, Pfizer allegedly worked with the fa foundation to create and finance a fund for Medicare patients and coordinated the fund with its price increase on the product to pay for the copay. In addition to the settlement money, Pfizer entered into a corporate integrity agreement with the Department of Health and Human Services. And now our crime report. An Anthem SIU investigator has been arrested and charged in a $20 million fraud scheme. Altogether, five people linked to two San Fernando Valley clinics were arrested for an alleged multi-year conspiracy to commit health care fraud against at least eight health insurance companies. Those arrested include the owner and operator of the clinics, 50-year-old Rashkanak Kadem of Sherman Oaks, who owned and operated the two clinics at the center of the alleged scheme. The clinics were R&R Med Spa, which was located in Valley Village until early 2016, and its successor company, New Me Aesthetic and Anti-Aging Center, which operated in Woodland Hills. The indictment alleges that the defendants induced patients to visit the clinics to receive free cosmetic procedures, which were not covered by insurance. The conspirators obtained insurance information from the patients and then fraudulently billed insurance companies for unnecessary medical services or for services that were never provided. Using the fraudulent proceeds from the insurance companies, the conspirators calculated a credit that patients could use to receive free or discounted cosmetic procedures. The conspirators allegedly submitted at least $20 million in claims to the insurance companies. The other four defendants who were arrested are 59-year-old Dr. Roberto Mariano of Rancho Cucamonga, a physician who helped operate the clinics. Also 49-year-old Marina Sarkissian of Panorama City, who was the office manager, and 38-year-old Lucine Iglazavnov of North Hills, an employee insurance biller, 
and 44-year-old Gary Jigmezian of Santa Clarita, who is a former senior investigator at the Anthem Special Investigations Unit, the anti-fraud unit within Anthem that is responsible for investigating health care fraud committed against the insurance company. Jismedjian allegedly provided confidential Anthem information that helped the others submit fraudulent bills to Anthem. In September 2012, Jismedjian gave them insurance CPT billing codes, codes that he knew could be used to submit fraudulent claims to Anthem without Anthem detecting the fraudulent claims. The indictment <clears throat> further alleges that Jismedjian worked to prevent the insurance companies from detecting the fraud at the clinics by diverting attention of other Anthem SIU investigators away from the clinics and closing Anthem investigations into fraud that was being committed at the clinics. According to the indictment, he also used confidential information to tip the defendants off about a federal criminal investigation into the clinics. Three Bay Area pain doctors agreed to pay $260,000 to resolve DEA charges made against them and their pain clinic. Doctors William Longton, Reuben Calra, and Richard Shineman have agreed to collectively pay the money to settle allegations that they failed to keep and maintain adequate records and other allegations pertaining to their controlled substances at their Navacho, Pleasant Hill, and Pleasanton offices. The physicians operate under the name Pain Medicine Consultants, Inc., with offices in multiple Bay Area locations. Officials say a January 2014 DEA inspection uncovered multiple violations by the three doctors of the Federal Controlled Substances Act. The three failed to keep and maintain adequate records pertaining to the controlled substances. They failed to include the address of the patient on controlled substance prescriptions that they each issued and exceeded the authority of their registrations by filling a prescription for a controlled substance, all in violation of the federal law. According to the terms of the agreement, Longton, Kalra, and Shineman will collectively pay the government $260,000 to resolve all civil claims related to the violations identified in the investigation. And now in regulatory news, a new report published by the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation describes work undertaken by the RAND Corporation for the DIR to evaluate California's Return to Work Fund as it approaches its third year of implementation. This research builds directly on a number of past RAND studies for the DIR and the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Comp. SB 863 sought to improve the adequacy of permanent partial disability benefits by raising the maximum weekly PPD benefit and by increasing disability ratings for selected injuries. To address remaining concerns about the adequacy of PPD benefits, SB 863 also instructed the DIR to design and implement a new $120 million program named the Return to Work Supplement Program. The new program was officially launched three years ago in April 2015. 
California's Return to Work Supplement Program is a new benefit for permanently disabled workers who suffer disproportionately high earnings loss in comparison to their workers' compensation benefits. The program provides a one-time $5,000 payment to workers who cannot return to work following a permanently disabling workplace injury. The DIR has authority to adjust the design and implementation of the program through additional rulemaking and regulations. So the DIR asked RAND to evaluate the program's performance and to suggest any recommended improvements. RAND conducted an evaluation including an environmental scan, stakeholder interviews, and an analysis of the program data. RAND also held a technical advisory group meeting with key stakeholders. RAND found that the Return to Work Supplement Program is performing well on several dimensions. The eligibility criteria have accurately targeted workers with more severe disability and program administration is efficient with little evidence of fraud or abuse. However, take-up of the program is low. In a sample of eligible workers, just over half applied to receive the benefit. The most important factor predicting access to the program was legal representation, suggesting that many workers are failing to navigate the process on their own despite the intent of the program's designers. Rand also found that the eligible population is larger than initially anticipated, a trend driven in part by rising utilization of California's voucher-based vocational rehabilitation benefit, the Supplemental Job Displacement Benefit. Rand recommended that modifications focus on increasing program take-up among currently eligible workers. The DIR could accomplish this by making issuance of the Return to Work Supplement automatic or through outreach and notification efforts. TriStar has received URAC accreditation for Workers' Compensation Utilization Management. URAC is an independent nonprofit accreditation entity founded in 1990. Its accreditation process serves as a framework to improve business processes through benchmarking organizations against nationally recognized standards. URAC is named as a designated accreditor of Workers' Compensation Utilization Review in California and eight other jurisdictions. The accreditation application was submitted late last year and in May TriStar received notice of accreditation approval. So TriStar is officially accredited as of June 1. TriStar was founded in 1987 and is the largest independently owned third-party multi-line claims administrator in the United States. It has operations focused within three divisions, property and casualty claims management, benefits administration, and managed care and medical cost containment services. Each division provides services nationwide with nearly 1,000 employees across the country. The California Department of Insurance criticized workers' compensation carriers for excessive comp premiums. The criticism was raised when the insurance commissioner adopted and issued a revised workers' compensation insurance advisory pure premium rate. 
he lowered the benchmark to $1.74 per $100 of payroll for workers' compensation insurance effective July 1. Commissioner Jones has reduced the benchmark rate by 36.5% since January 2015. But he complains that insurers are, on average, applying pure premium rates that are 27.6% more than the indicated pure premium rate approved by the commissioner. The pure premium benchmark rate is only advisory as the legislature has not given the insurance commissioner authority over workers' compensation insurance rates. The commissioner says that even after considering the industry's extensive use of rating plan credits, industry profitability appears to be a substantial as a percentage of premium. The WCIRB's Pure Premium Advisory Rate filing established that overall costs continued to decline in California's workers' compensation insurance system. Insurers' net costs in the workers' compensation system continued to decline as a result of SB 863, SB 1160, and AB 1244. The WCIRB noted continued favorable medical loss development including acceleration in claim settlements. And in medical news, President Trump signed the right to try drug regulation just passed by the U.S. legislature. The new law will allow people with life-threatening illnesses to bypass the Food and Drug Administration to obtain experimental medications ending a drawn-out battle over access to unapproved therapies. The measure was praised by supporters as a lifeline for desperate patients, but denounced by scores of medical and consumer groups as unnecessary and dangerous. The FDA would be largely left out of the equation under the new legislation and would not oversee the right-to-try process. Drug manufacturers will have to report adverse events, safety problems, including premature deaths, only once a year. The agency also would be restricted in how it used such information when considering the experimental treatments for approval. Patients would be eligible for a right to try if they had a life-threatening illness and had exhausted all available treatment options. The medication itself must have completed early stage safety testing this is called phase, phase 1 trials, and be in active development with the goal of FDA approval. One congressman opposing the bill argued that eliminating FDA oversight would provide fly-by-night physicians and clinics the opportunity to peddle false hope and ineffective drugs to desperate patients. He also added that the bill was opposed by over 100 patient advocacy and consumer groups. But right-to-try law exists in 40 states already, including California, but this federal bill would apply across state lines. Right-to-try was signed into law in California by Governor Jerry Brown in 2016. The California law allows very sick patients to plea for experimental treatments directly from drug companies instead of waiting for years of drugs to hit the market. But patients and advocates said the California law does not function well without the federal counterpart. 
Before the federal law, if someone experienced adverse effects while taking a drug acquired through California's right to try policy, the FDA could pull the treatment from the clinical trial process. This made drug companies reluctant to participate. Now the federal right to try law will make California law more effective or eliminate the need for the California law altogether. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.